Right, there we go. Okay, so we're doing the four R's. That's cool, isn't it? Not just three, we go one better. The first R is resurrection. The second R is redemption. And I think Jodie's going to be preaching on that next week. And the third R is righteousness. And that's going to be Gordon, am I right? And the fourth R is a surprise. <laughs> we will find out what it is when we get to it. Okay, I think Tim might know, but the rest of us don't. So tonight we're thinking about the first R, resurrection. What do you think happens when we die? It's a rhetorical question, don't worry. I'm not going to make you put your hands up to a series of multiple choice options. But if I were, these might be some of the options. Option one, when I die, that's the end of me. I just stop existing. My body breaks down into molecules and atoms, and eventually they will find their way into some other things. Just like there are almost certainly atoms in me which were in Julius Caesar's last breath, or Queen Elizabeth I's, or Einstein's. Come to think of it, I am feeling particularly brave today. Option two. My body will die, but my spirit will survive and may possibly be resurrected in another body. Unless I've been really good. In which case, it will merge into the universal everything and nothing. If I've been really bad, I might be resurrected as something like a rat or worse. But, at least if it's a rat, I get to run around St. Matt sometimes. <laughs> Option three. My body will die, but my spirit will survive and go to live with God in heaven. I will learn to play the harp, something I've never wanted to do. And other stuff like that. I will float around on clouds and it will all be blissful. Personally, I think it sounds quite boring. So option four is another thing we might like to consider. My body will die, but my soul will rest with Jesus until he comes again. And God puts everything under his feet. And then God will make all things new. My body, earth and heaven. And God will live in his holy city, the new Jerusalem, on the new earth. And heaven and earth will be one. There are other possibilities, I'm sure you can think of some. But I think that gives us a flavour of some of the options. There are people who identify as Christians who think each of these, sometimes, all in the same day. What happens after we die isn't something we talk about much. It's not something we teach about much. So we tend to muddle along. Each of us coming up with something that allows us to function day by day without getting too depressed or panicky. Or we simply try not to think about it at all. 
And if we go back 2,000 years to the time when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, we find things haven't actually changed that much. So this is Corinth now in the top picture. And below it is a reconstruction of what it might have looked like in Paul's day. Corinth was a busy, bustling city. Um, estimates of its size vary, but it was similar in size to Bath. It was on an important trade route. And back then, some of the Greeks who lived there thought that this life was all we had. And so they just needed to make the most of it. They would live the best life they could, have the best food they could, the best wine they could, the best friends they could. And they were called the Epicureans. And some of the Jews thought that as well. They were called the Sadducees. And this is exactly the same as our option one. Now many Greeks though, and some of the Jews, thought we have some sort of spirit in us that carries on after we die. And there were lots of differences of opinion about what happened to your spirit after you died, um, after it got rid of its grotty physical body that was holding it back. So that sort of covers options two and option three. And finally, some Jews thought there would be a bodily resurrection at some point in the future, when God restored Israel with souls waiting safely with God until then. In other words, our option four, or similar, similar. The Greeks and the Romans thought this was a really stupid idea. But actually, this is what the Pharisees thought, which is why they didn't get on with the Sadducees. But what did the Corinthian Christians think that Paul was writing to? Well, Paul seems very concerned that they were starting to think either that this life is all we have, and when we die, we go into nothingness, or that humans were made up of bodies and spirits which were somehow completely separate because bodies were bad and spirits were good. And when you died, your spirit went off and something nice happened to it. To be honest, we don't actually know what they thought. It's not clear from Paul's letter and other records. And if you read Corinthians, you guess probably that some thought one thing and some thought the other, because the Corinthians seem to be famous for disagreeing about things. But whatever they thought, Paul was very cross about it. Paul was actually very cross with the Corinthians quite a, about quite a lot of things. We call his letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but actually we think he wrote several letters, one of which might have been lost completely, and the others have been combined into what we now call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but not necessarily in the order he wrote them, which is confusing. But the order of the sections doesn't actually matter that much, not when the sections are really amazing. Each one can be taken on its own, like here today in chapter 15, when Paul talks about the resurrection and explains just how important it is. We don't really need to know when he wrote it or which order it came in the letter. So he's cross with the Corinthians, he's fed up with them. Come on, he says, 
in the first ten verses of the reading we had, the gospel you originally heard and believed in was centred on the message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. To throw this belief out, it's not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're throwing the baby, the bath, the water, the mother, the nursemaid, the house. You're just getting rid of the lot. The fact that Jesus was physically resurrected is the proof that he is who he says he is. The Son of God. The Messiah. One with the Father, in fact. But Paul goes on to say the Hebrew scriptures also prophesied the Messiah, his suffering, his resurrection, and the restoration of all things. In the light of Jesus, the scriptures suddenly made a whole load more sense to Paul. And he was a Pharisee, so he really knew his scriptures. And then Paul starts listing the witnesses to the resurrection. There are so many witnesses to this, he says, including me. Now, this is a really interesting list. Oh, we could talk about this list for hours, but I won't. But there are two people whose testimonies would have been particularly powerful. People who absolutely did not believe Jesus was the Messiah when he was alive. James and Paul. James is the brother of Jesus who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem after the other James, the brother of John, was killed. We don't know a lot about this James, but John's Gospel tells us specifically that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Then all of a sudden in Galatians, Paul says that he met two important apostles when he went to visit Jerusalem. Peter and James, the Lord's brother. How on earth did that happen? Well, it must have been because James met Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And Paul must have heard that story directly from James on that visit to Jerusalem. That must have been some meeting of brothers. It's so frustrating that it's not in the Bible except in this little mention. We never hear that story. But we do hear Paul's story. I think it's worth spending a little bit of time with that. The first time we meet Paul is in Acts chapter 7 and 8 when he's a young man. He's a Pharisee and he's starting to fall under the influence of extremist preachers. He gets swept up in what he thinks is a righteous war of terror against the Christians. He starts simply by looking after the coats of people throwing stones at Stephen. I assume they took their coats off so they could get a better aim. He ramps things up a bit after that by going from house to house, dragging the Christians off and throwing them into prison. 
A little later still, he's advanced to making murderous threats. And he's not just satisfied with cleaning up Jerusalem. These scum, these Christians, have gone to other cities and are spreading their evil message there. So he asks permission to go and track them down. So off he goes to Damascus to gather up those evil Christians and drag them back in chains to Jerusalem so they can be tried for blasphemy. But something extraordinary happens. He encounters the leader of the scum, who he was convinced was dead, on the road. Can you imagine the shock of that meeting? Can you imagine the horror of discovering the huge swathes of what you believed, that you've ever believed about the world, your people, yourself, and your God were wrong? That you've persecuted and killed people who were telling the truth? That it was you living the lie? No wonder Paul lost his sight. He must have thought he was losing his mind. Like the bottom was falling out of his world. Like he was falling out of the world. So Paul was led, groping in the dark, into Damascus to straight street. And there he waited. And he didn't eat anything. And he didn't drink anything. For three whole days. I wonder what he thought about it. He must have felt bewildered. I wonder if he thought he was going to get lots of horrible punishments from God. But instead, somebody called Ananias comes along and talks to him about Jesus. Ananias comes to put Paul straight. And the scales fell from Paul's eyes. A sinner had fallen down in the dark, but an apostle stood up in the light. Paul had met Jesus, and he spent the rest of his life telling people about it. Jesus was raised from the dead, says Paul, and this belief is non-negotiable. But Paul's not finished. He turns his attention in the second half of our reading to the question of whether we are going to be resurrected as well. And we discover he nails his colours very firmly to option number four. All who belong to Christ will experience physical, bodily resurrection. If they die before Jesus comes again, their souls will rest in him until the resurrection happens. And this physical resurrection will not just be for us, but will be for the whole earth. The whole of creation will be restored. Paul says, if Jesus' physical resurrection proves he's God, then the fact that he is also fully human proves that we will be resurrected. Because we're made of exactly the same stuff as Jesus. If 
it's impossible for us, there is no reason to think it's going to be possible for Jesus. And if it wasn't possible for Jesus, then it isn't going to be possible for us. Either humans can be resurrected, or they can't. And if all that stuff about Jesus being resurrected is a lie, all the stuff about him being the Son of God is a lie as well. All the stuff about the good news, about the kingdom of God is a lie. The Christian faith is a lie. And if that's the case, Paul says, we of all people deserve to be pitied, don't we? Because we're just living a pointless lie. But, 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 in verse 20, he triumphantly says, it isn't a lie. It's true. Jesus really was buried. He really came back to life. I met him. He's still alive. He's still human. He's still God. Isn't it astonishing when you think about the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one of them is human. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Jesus says we will follow him and we can believe him. The fact he died and was buried proves he was human. The fact he was resurrected proves he is God. The fact that he is human proves we will be resurrected too. We follow him as we live now and we will follow him when we die. Now this chapter is 58 verses, which I thought was quite long. Jamie, thank you very much for reading, Jamie. Jamie thought 20 verses was quite long. I stopped it at verse 20 because that is quite a high point. But Paul says some other really great things in the rest of the chapter that I think it would be good just to look at very briefly. Do you really think, Paul says to the Corinthians, do you really think, and it's a very good question for us to ask ourselves, that the disciples who were emotionally destroyed by the death of Jesus were likely to make up a story that he had risen from the dead and then be prepared to suffer and die for something they knew was a lie. Really? Paul could have had a nice, quiet life, been a funky Pharisee, got married. Why would he have suffered all the stuff that he suffered if he hadn't really seen Jesus? Paul says, another thing, you've been arguing about the resurrection bodies, what are they going to be like? And you said you don't understand it, so you're not going to believe it. He says, don't get hung up on that, just don't worry about it. Jesus' body was the same and different after the resurrection. He was hard to recognise at first, but when he said your name, oh, you knew it was him. He walked, and he talked, and he ate, and he drank. And the scars of the crucifixion were still there. 
healed but visible. Jesus was still made of matter. He still operated within space and time, but he seemed to have a sort of different sort of control over it from what he had before. Similarly, says Paul, our new bodies will be different from now, but still physical. He says it's almost like our current bodies are the seeds of what we're going to grow into. And it's the same with the universe. God declared each part of his creation good when he first made it. And so even creation waits eagerly for its redemption when it will be set free from its bondage to death and decay. So the new earth will be different, but it will be recognisable. And it will be wonderful. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of the wonders God has prepared for those who follow him. But, says Paul, we're still waiting. The final resurrection won't happen until Jesus comes again at the end of all things. And whether we're alive or dead when that happens doesn't matter. We will all be changed and we will all inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't have time or the depth of knowledge to discuss all the things that different theologians think about what happens between when we die and when we're resurrected. But there are some excellent books out there, if you want to read more. Although I have found that the more brilliant the theologian, the less definitive they are about what they think happens. So, at the risk of being contradicted, to summarise what I think are the two main views, many people think that we will simply be with God in heaven until the new heaven and new earth are created and come together. And then we'll get our physical bodies. Others think we will simply rest in peace. Do you recognise that phrase? It's on a lot of gravestones. I think I'm going to have it put on mine. Others think we will simply rest in peace without noticing the passage of time until the resurrection. You'll notice that that covers a whole load of categories of things. But they all agree that the resurrection will be a time when we are given new physical bodies to live in a new physical earth. The new earth will be joined with the new heaven and God will live there. And the way this is described is as the new Jerusalem. Only there won't be a temple in the new Jerusalem because God will be there. We'll be able to see him. He doesn't need to be hidden There doesn't need to be a barrier between us and him. And Paul concludes the chapter. Oh, it's a brilliant chapter. Go home and read it, especially if you've got the message. Paul concludes by saying that because of the sure and certain hope we have in our resurrection, we don't need to fear anything there. Nothing anyone can do to us in this earth can separate us from the love of God or remove us from his eternal kingdom. This is why evil kings and dictators hate Christians. 
because the ultimate threat of death doesn't stop us. We know we're safe in Christ. Secondly, says Paul, anything we do for the kingdom isn't in vain. Whether we work for justice, for peace, to help the poor and the dispossessed, to protect our beautiful planet from pollution and destruction by stupidity and greed, anything that has kingdom value is going to last. And somehow, we don't know how, but somehow will be reflected in the new earth. It will bear fruit in eternity. That's why Martin Luther said that if he knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, he would plant a tree today. Thirdly, and finally, you will be pleased to know, I've gone all Scottish, you see, gone on for a long time. It finally means we really do have good news that's worth sharing. It's not just about following rules. It's not even just about joy and peace now, although that's part of it. The gospel, the good news, is an invitation to start living now as though the kingdom is here. To do things now that make an eternal difference. To join a party that will last forever. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Then come on, band, come back. Let's get the party started. Throw open the doors. Celebrate the good news. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And we are adopted into his family. The kingdom of God is coming. Alleluia.